Mark chapter 14. As you head that direction, let me uh, remind you of a couple of things. We're, uh, we're about halfway through the season of Lent. And so we continue to do our, uh, all those rhythms of fasting and prayer and really just bringing ourselves before the Lord as we journey toward Easter together. And so we'll keep all those rhythms going of reading through John and fasting, especially on Wednesdays from a meal. And so uh, if you want that printed out devotion, we have them on the speakers here. Or we'll email that out Wednesday as well. Um, another thing that's going on at, during that season you know, Lent kind of has a kind of a kind of have a heaviness to it, I guess. Um, at the same time, there are these really fun things that happen during this time of year as well. One of them is next weekend our youth group it will be a part of D Now Two Two Five, which is a collaborative thing of churches that are doing uh, where all the youth ministries will come together for some parts of the weekend, and then. Our, our crew will go off by themselves for other parts of the weekend. And so um, at different points, people ask, you know, they'll still say, hey, uh, if I can be involved and helpful in some way, you know, like, let me know. So just letting you know, we need to feed them a couple of times. And so if that's kind of like your love language is like feeding other people, then we would love to let you use that language. Uh, you can see Haley Miller or uh, Meg Kelly about that for more information. The last thing that's really super fun, like I said last week, our Easter egg hunt is definitely happening. And because the governor moved us to phase three, we can now have a, a whopping 25 more people per hunt. Yeah, that's exciting. So uh, that is, is, we're still on track to do everything the same exact way. Today uh, on the app, you can register to volunteer and you can, at four o'clock, you'll be able to register for which of those hunts if you are a participant Okay, so we need volunteers to pull off this event and we need participants. And so uh, the volunteer thing is open now. The participant one will open up at four. You can register on the app. Uh, we need help during the week getting everything ready. We need help the day of the event. And so, but we need you to sign up for that as soon as possible so we can get all the volunteer stuff rolling and moving forward. And uh, just very excited that God's continuing to open those doors. So Lent has both, right? It has like some like heavier, like kind of maybe things that maybe feel a little more dark uh, as we journey toward, uh, I mean, Easter is beautiful, but you got to go through Good Friday first, right? So uh, it has the heaviness to it. And then there are these like fun things that God's opening up at the same time. And we'd love for everyone to be a part of it in all the ways that you can. Um, so as we journey together, we're also getting closer and closer to uh, to the end of the book of Mark and going a little bit at a time. And today we get to a part in the story where things get, uh, it starts to get real, uh, in a very powerful way. So we'll pick up in verse 43. They have just spent their time in Gethsemane. Um, Jesus has been praying. The disciples have been napping. Uh, and now it is time to set some things into motion. So look at verse 43. And immediately while he, being Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out 
as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, didn't see that one coming, did you? So uh, it, it's, it's happening. It's being set into motion. And there are, there's a lot to learn in this whole stretch of Scripture. In chapter 14, I feel like, has just so much packed into it. Um, in this little section, though, we, we really get a glimpse of like some of those like standard issue human solutions to difficult problems, right? Like when it's like, how do humans tend to handle hard things? We see a couple of them. Uh, uh, for example, here we go. Like in 43, it says that they, they came after him with a, a crowd came with swords and clubs. You know, and he's like, seriously, guys, come on. Swords and clubs. So, so one of the like, human default ways that we tend to handle stuff is with weapons, right? Like, like our whole world for a long time has loved weapons, even in cases where it doesn't even require it. They're like, oh, we're going to go get this teacher, uh, let's all go bring our clubs and our swords. Like, it's just like really ridiculous, right? But weapons, that's like a, a human solution, right? Verse 44 says, now the betrayer had given him a sign. That's one of the ways that we handle difficult things is that we are very quick as humans to just sell out, right? To like throw someone under the bus, to blame someone for something, to do whatever we need to do. And if it means betraying one of our closest people, someone we claim to love and believe in, uh, in order to gain what we think we need to gain, betrayal is a very normal human response. Uh, verse 46, they couldn't have just said, oh, you're the guy, won't you come with us? It says they laid hands on him and they seized him. Right? The, a use of force uh, is a is also another way that we tend to like handle things in in life when difficulty comes about. Um, that use of force coming from the people that had the clubs and the swords was then met in response. Uh, verse forty seven says one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So it starts to escalate, right? So it's like, oh, you got clubs and swords and you're going to seize the rabbi? Well, I'm going to cut your ear off. Seems logical, right? And we know from John 18 that this was Peter who did this. This wasn't some like random like, you know, like wild card in the, in the gang. This was Peter, okay? So, uh, so it goes from swords and clubs and force to violence. Then uh, it says after this, Jesus like shut everything down. And we know from elsewhere that he like actually put the ear back on and healed it, which is pretty, pretty amazing, right? Uh, and then it says in verse 50 that they all left him and they fled. Like they just, they just took off. The disciples scattered. And then one of his followers was like, uh, they're like, oh, grab that dude. And he was like, finagled his way out of his clothing and was like, I'd rather run away naked than be associated with what's going on here. So we see all the disciples and whoever this guy is, which there are a lot of people think that this is John Mark, the author of the book, that he was the young man here in the story. But no proof for it, but it makes it interesting. Um, 
that they would, they like basically were like, like let's scatter, let's run from this, which to me just screams of self-preservation. So in this one story, you have uh, weaponry, betrayal, use of force, violence, and self-preservation just in those couple of verses. Um, but if you were to even stretch out and look at all of chapter 14, there's even more examples of it. I'm going to just quickly go through these. You don't need to try to like read them all or anything like that. But uh, here's some other examples in chapter 14. Like in the first verse, it says that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. So the powerful people are using their power in order to eliminate someone who is a threat to them. So you have abuse of power and you have conspiracy to commit murder uh, by the like religious leaders at the beginning of chapter 14. Um, you, go, you keep going through 14. There's a, they're at a, 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 a gathering uh, for Jesus and his disciples in Bethany. And a woman comes in and begins to anoint him with this very expensive ointment. Remember that story? And uh, the disciples kind of have this conversation that Judas initiates. And uh, this, is, this is what he says in verse 4. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment uh, could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. That's a human default right there, right? Like, here's something that's happening that I don't agree with. So I'm going to scold this person, right? Do you remember when, you remember when we could just like have disagreements? And call, I don't either because it's always been with us the whole time. Like, we can have disagreements to a point, but it, it just it leads and it escalates to something like more intense. And so they're scolding this woman, which also brings misogyny to the table, you know? Like, I can't think if this, if, if, a, if a man had come in and had done the same thing, I don't know that these, this group of disciples would have, have acted the same way. Because women were looked at very differently back then. And so you have not only the scolding of someone that they disagree with, but also the like, m- group of men scolding a woman part of the story as well. Um, then it says uh, a few verses later that Judas, uh, verse 10, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So not only was Judas willing to betray Jesus for free, then they sweetened the deal by giving him money with which to do it. And so Judas, who we know was, was greedy, uh, if we know that from other, other parts of the New Testament, uh, we see his greed overwhelm him even more and just confirming the betrayal of Jesus you keep going through the chapter, there's the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper, and Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him, and there's the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, while they're in the garden, Jesus finds them all asleep, and he makes this statement at the end uh, in verse 38. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That one of the human defaults for us is to do whatever our physical bodies are telling us to do, right? Like it's, it's likely that in the moment when Peter saw the crowd grab the rabbi and seize him, that something welled up within him and his logical response was to take out a dagger and stab a dude in the ear. 
Seems silly, right? It's, it's likely that that physical response of scolding the woman was because something welled up within them. Uh, here they are, unable to stay awake and pray with their rabbi because they physically were so sleepy. And so one of the human defaults is to basically just do whatever our bodies tell us to do. That our flesh being weak uh, is actually, sometimes our flesh is really strong. Weak is not necessarily about strength, it's about um, it's about like what, what is going to, to drive you. And um, so the weakness of flesh is another human thing. In 66 through 72, we see Peter having scattered out from the Lord and he starts to get pressed of like, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you, one of, aren't you associated with Jesus? And he denies it three times in that, in that passage. He denies knowing the Lord. And so, Peter, full of fear because of this intimidating 11-year-old girl, right? Uh, uh, He's so intimidated by that that he compromises and ends up just lying, just straight up lying. I don't know who he is. Verse 68, he denied it. Verse 70, he denied it. Verse 71, he says, I don't even know this man you're talking about. So in case you were uh, losing count, here's a summary. This is a summary of human like default uh, ways of handling difficult situations that we see in chapter 14. Here's your summary list. We use weapons, betrayal, force, violence, self-preservation, abuse of power, conspiracy to murder, uh, scolding, misogyny, greed, weakness of bodily flesh, fear, compromise, lying, and deception. All of that packed in to chapter 14. Now, if I was to rattle off that list, it would be, wouldn't it be great if you're like, let me describe how people who, who have never met Jesus handle themselves. But on that list, if you were to put into categories, which of these were done by non-Jesus people and which were done by disciples, it's more disciples than it is the other way. This is done equally by people who know Jesus and don't know Jesus. It's, it's quite a list. It's, it's a terrible, terrible chapter in regard to, let's show you what humanity is all about as far as this is just the way that it is. This is just, this is just how you handle stuff. You just handle things through violence, through anger, through uh, like lying, through deception, through self-preservation, through whatever it is. It's just, it's just how you handle stuff sometimes. It's just the way that it is. But then there's this, there is a human in this chapter who doesn't seem to handle stuff from that list, right? There is a human who handles things differently. Um, his name's Jesus, in case you're wondering who I'm talking about. Here's some examples, like verse 6. The disciples are scolding this woman. Verse 6, Jesus says, leave her alone. Uh, Leave her alone. Instead of scolding this woman, he is defending this woman. That in this situation, she is the marginalized person. She is pushed to the side. She is uh, on the receiving end of abuse of power. And Jesus puts an end to it. 
Not only does he do that, but he's so impressed with what's going on here. In verse 9, he says this, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. He not only defends her, he honors her. The implication there, or maybe implication is the right word, but it's almost like he's like, hey, by the way, in 2021, a congregation will gather in a building and we'll talk about this woman. That, that's how much I want to honor what's going on here. So the default human response, scold her and dishonor her. This other human, though, is like, no, I'm going to defend her and I'm going to bestow a great honor upon her. That she will be memorialized because of what she has done. If you skip down, you look at the Passover meal. Verse 17 says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who's eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after the other, is it I? He said to them, it's one of the twelve, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. The, the human default would not be to share a meal with your betrayer, would it? With the people who have hurt you, who have intentionally brought pain into your life. Those are not people that you sit around the table with and share and like dip into the same a bowl of salsa with them, do you? No. But here's this human showing like, hey, it's a different way to do this. He takes it to another level. If you look at verse 22, he says, uh, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He, he not only shared table fellowship with his betrayer, he invites into this new meal, he invites into his sacrificial meal, his betrayer and the one who was going to deny him, and this group of like misfits who just couldn't seem to get it right with all their missteps and all these kinds of things, he invites them into his life. It, is that... Is that human default for how you treat those who violate you and who stand against you and you would label as as enemies of sorts? It's not. He's doing something different. If you remember last week, we looked at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is feeling, feeling the weight of everything. He's in distress. He's sorrowful even to the point of death. And what is he doing? Is he pushing people away? No, he's bringing them with them. He's saying, come and sit with me. Be with me in my distress. He prays this incredibly honest prayer to the Father. Verse 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Here he is praying a prayer that humans in their default prayer do not know how to pray. We're, and our, our default prayer is, God, give me this. Please do this. This is what I want. Uh, I'll try not to be mad at you if you don't. You know? 
And here Jesus is showing us a different way to pray. He's positioning himself as the son, God being the father, and he's being very honest with his dad, but he's also saying, but, I, but what, what do I know? <laughs> You're the dad. I, I really want what you want. I genuinely want that. Here's my preference. Let's go with what you want. Then he's arrested. At the end of that scene that we read earlier in verse 49, the end of that verse, he says, you know what? Let the scriptures be fulfilled. Let all those prophecies and all the things that said that had to happen about what, what's going to happen to this Messiah, that he is going to be killed, uh, let it happen. Here is this human who's being obedient, who's submitting to the greater plan, who's willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of others. So you have your list of default human ways to handle difficult things, and then, then you have this human over here who's doing things, it's not, not even like the opposite of the other list. It's just a completely different list. Right? Like, he's coming from, it's like he's speaking a different language. It's like he's, a, it's like he's coming from a different place. But he's a human. 100% human. He's also 100% God. And in, in that coexistence, he has humbled himself and he has this ability to not access the divine part of him. He's just being a person. And so all this week I, I've just been thinking about this, uh, this old uh, Switchfoot song, uh, which, I mean, I'm a Switchfoot guy. I'm not going not gonna to lie about that. Um, Pre-Mandy Moore, of course. Yeah. And some of y'all are like, who's Switchfoot? What does that mean? Switchfoot is this band, they released this album, and it was called New Way to Be Human. And I kept, I've thought about that phrase every day, many, many times this week. That I think that's what's been happening in chapter 14. Is like, here's, here is what you think it looks like to be human. Here is everything that you have been taught and trained to do. This is, this is how you're conditioned to think and to process information, and to make decisions. These are your expectations. This is the status quo. This is, what, this is what you're trained to do. And here's a new way. Here's a new way to be human. That Jesus is just showing us, you know. He, he's preached this. He's taught this. He's spoken in terms of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Uh, he has invited people into this. Paul talks about it in terms of patterns, patterns of the world and patterns of the kingdom of God. Think about it however you want, but I've been thinking in terms of you think this is what it means to be human and uh, you think this is like the only way just to like handle stuff and do stuff and this is just what it takes. And I'm here to show you there's another way. There's a new way. And the best way I can really come up with to summarize what this looks like in terms of like the nuts and bolts of it and like how do you, how do you practice this new way of being human is the same way at the end of that prayer in Gethsemane. Is we come before God and we say, it's, it's your will. What, what do you want me to do in this situation? And I'll do it. 
That's, that's the new way. The old way is to assume a lot of things. It's to assume, well, this happened, so I got to fight you. This, this happened, so I got to betray you. This happened, so I have to lie. This happened, so I have to give in to what my body is saying right now. This happened, so I have to do this. I have to do this. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. And Jesus is like, yeah, that used to be your only option, but guess what? I'm here to invite you into something new and better. That you don't have to fall into that approach of saying it's just, just what it, just how it is. You say, I, I'm here to trust the Lord and obey what he says for me to do. I'm here to pray the prayer of not my will, but your will be done. And I think, you know, when, when I go through that list that I, I did a few minutes ago of like greed, self-preservation, lying, violence, like there, there's like big universal things that absolutely apply uh, to us that we have to categorize and thinking like, yeah, those are the default things. And he's invited me into a new way of response. But to contextualize this, even like to focus in even more, there are those big global things. And then there's like, there's some like very like local things as well. Like there's stuff like growing up in, in Baton Rouge, living in Baton Rouge. There are some things about life here that also become defaults for us sometimes. It's just kind of assumed. It's just sort of like, that's just the way that it is. Um, and so, and when I say that, like here, here's like things that I mean, like, uh, there are things about what it means to like be a man in Baton Rouge, like in, in South Louisiana, you know, it's like, well, men, men do this. Those are, those are men things or to be a woman. Like these are like, these are like, like woman things. Um, and there are just like, it's kind of like this mold. It's like, well, this is what, what you have to do. And then people try to fit that mold or they don't try to fit that mold. And they either grow up either with false sense of security or insecurity or whatever it might be. But there's like things about like growing up here and being a part of this culture um, that are just assumed default things. And you either fit it or you don't fit it or, or whatever it might be. Um, there's, a, there's also stuff like... Uh, well, here, this is just this is just how we this is how we celebrate. These are the elements of a good celebration. Or um, when you when you have a, a a bad day here, here's this is how you cope with it in in Louisiana. You know, this is how it is in Baton Rouge. This is how you cope with bad days. This is how you celebrate the really good times. Um, or things like uh, this is just this is how you make decisions about where you're going to live. This is how you make decisions about where your kids are going to go to school. This is how you make decisions about uh, where you're going to shop, you know, or, or parts of town that, that you're going to go to or not go to and, and all these kinds of things. And, and we have all this whole group of, of like things that are really unique to here. And as we try to navigate our way through those things, uh, you have these like Baton Rouge things. And you have these like bigger things like presidential elections and cultural revolutions and like all these things. You have the really specific things and you have these big global things. And you're, we're trying to figure out how am I supposed to navigate my way through it? You know, I've had so many conversations with people of like looking back over 2020 and figuring out like uh, talking in terms of like, man, what was it like to be a church leader trying to figure out COVID and election stuff and all these kind of other kind of things? And I was like, it, it was fantastic. Because over and over and over again, you got to where you're like, we can't just default to cultural things anymore, can we? 
That's just not, that's not what Jesus like, has provided for us. He has invited us into this new way to be human. So rather than try to figure out how to do this and this and this and this and how to make all these decisions, I just come over here and we're like, God, what, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to approach the election? How do you want us to approach racism? How do you want us to approach COVID? The same things. How do you want us to approach uh, like masculinity and femininity? How do you want us to approach uh, like where to live and where to send our kids to school? How do you, what do you want us to do? We will do it. And one of the things that crushes me as a pastor is to hear Christians in general uh, just talk about their ways to navigate through life. And as they're talking, you can't tell if they're a Christian or not because there's no Jesus in it sometimes. I'm not putting that on you. I'm not putting that on our church. I'm just saying in general, when you hear Christians talk about this cultural thing or this decision or about what's happening in Baton Rouge or all these kinds of things, they're speaking and there's no Jesus thread in there. There's no like, well, I brought myself before the Lord and I fasted and I prayed and I asked for his wisdom and I studied the scriptures. And then when I felt good about that, I started to invite my community into it and kind of get their voices in there. There's none of that kind of stuff sometimes. And that makes me so sad because I feel like you look at chapter 14 and here's all these options over here and Jesus is over here. And it's like we're choosing. We're like, uh, I don't really want to do that thing. I just want to default to how, what I was trained to do, what everyone else around me is doing. And so I don't say that as a, like, let me correct you as Living Hope Fellowship at all. I love it when I talk to people and they're talking about how the Lord led them to this particular conclusion. It doesn't even matter what the conclusion is. You know? that's, that's the best for me. Because as followers of Jesus, we should be approaching all of these things very differently than people who don't know Jesus. It's like when you read this chapter and you're like, if, if I were to say, uh, who is more likely to cut off the ear of someone, a disciple or a non-disciple? You'd be like, a non-disciple? Like, nope, nope, Peter. What is going on? A couple of years ago, I was, I was, uh, and I told this to the early service too. Like, I can't remember what stories I've told and not told, so just be gracious with me. But I was, uh, I was about to sell uh, the house I was living in, and it came time to like negotiate the price, which some of you love to do that stuff, right? Like you love to go to a garage sale and haggle and like talk them down and like. Br- br- threatened to walk away and all that kind of stuff. Like y'all love to negotiate a deal. I'm the other end of the spectrum. Like I will pay your asking price greatly, like gratefully to not have to sit there and debate over this. And so negotiating the price of a house when you're not using a real estate agent is like something you have to like love to do or hate to do. And I hate to do it. And so, uh, but it came, it came that, that point in time. And I was, uh, I remember sitting in my truck, I was outside of Magpie, uh, the coffee shop over there. And I was like, okay, um, I need to talk to the Lord first because I need him to help me to not be a wimp in this situation, which is going to be my default. Uh, If I'm not careful, I'm going to end up paying them for the house, right? So (laughs) I prayed and I didn't really even get very far down the line in prayer. I just kind of like got to a point and I felt like the Lord spoke something to me and not, not in an audible way, but it's like, it's like my spirit heard the Holy Spirit whisper these three words, don't be greedy. And I was confused for a second 
Because I was like, isn't that what I'm supposed to do here, though? Like, isn't that what you do in a real estate deal? Aren't, I'm selling this house. Aren't I supposed to, like, dig my heels in and refuse to compromise on things and, like, argue over closing costs and, like, re- refuse to repair things that are ridiculous? And, like, aren't I supposed to try to walk away with as much money as possible? Isn't that the goal? Don't be greedy. I don't know why in that moment I had the wherewithal to pray. And my, my prayer was not, a, it was not a Gethsemane prayer. It was really like a help me to not be a wimp prayer. But God met me with this beautiful response that made me so thankful that he would remind me that of just something so simple and important. And to bring it into this context, it's almost like he was saying, yeah, that's, that's what you've been conditioned to do, is to be greedy. That's the way to be human in the way that you were taught. There's a new way, which means you can go into a real estate negotiation and not be greedy. You, you can have that conversation and negotiate in a healthy way and be a good steward and it not be like sinful. It hadn't occurred to me prior to that and it changed the way I approached that conversation. Jesus is offering us this new way. We, we don't have to just sit around and do stuff because that's just the way it is in Baton Rouge. That's just the way it is in the South. That's just the way it is in America. That's just the way it is in life. Jesus has invited you into a new way that it is. So when you see all that stuff, you see that list of relational defaults I was talking about, and you look at Jesus defending the weak, honoring that woman, sharing a meal with those who are out to hurt him, inviting people into his distress, praying honest prayers to the Father, being completely open-handed with the outcome. As a Christ follower, doesn't it just make you want to just live in that world, you know? Like just live as that kind of human? As a Christ follower, he, he has freed you from the other list of options being your, kind of your only options. He's freed you from that so that we can be this new kind of human that he offers to us. So we have to ask ourselves, who, who do I want to be? Who, who is God making me into? Who, who has Jesus freed me from in order to become like him? So as I said earlier, some of these were done by disciples and some were by non-disciples. What, is it, what does it take, you know? Like, what is it, why, why hadn't that really clicked for them yet? There's probably a number of reasons. But we have to remember where we are in the timeline of history at this point. Jesus has not yet died and taken on the brokenness that we all bring to the table He's not taking that upon himself and taking it to the grave to put it to death yet. The Father has not raised him from the grave to walk in new life. 
where he is resurrected and healed and all that other stuff stays dead. He hasn't done that yet. That's part of why this isn't really clicking for the disciples in this moment. And yet in a few days, it will absolutely click. (laughs) Because they're going to realize what he has done and who he is. And so for those of you who are followers of Christ, like this is a reminder that when Jesus died, our tie to all that other stuff died with him. And then when the father raised him from the grave, he left all that stuff dead, that the new resurrected Jesus and the new resurrected you and I is not bound to those things because he has put them to death and left them in the grave forever. If you are not a follower of Jesus, Jesus invites us into that reality. Like there's, at at any point, you can recognize he's the one that, that takes all that sin and all that brokenness from you and will put it to death. He will free you from that obligation to that old life. He will free you from all of that. It's, it's a matter of placing your faith in him. And if that is you, you need to stick around after we're done today. And you need to talk to somebody about it. I'll be around and different people will be around. But you don't need to leave here without having like processed your way through some of that stuff. And so I think, I think something like this message today can kind of go one of two directions for a Christian. For, for, uh, not one of two directions, but kind of like to two, two maybe ends of a spectrum. One would be, you might be really encouraged by this. Like God may be whispering to you, like you've, you've really learned to live in this new humanity. Like you've, you've cooperated with my spirit teaching you all these kind of things. He may be just championing so much of what you're walking in right now. And I hope you receive that. I hope you just let him affirm you and encourage you. Uh, far too many times, these kinds of sermons are like, therefore, we need to get better, you know. And some of you just need to hear God just whisper to you, well done. And I hope that he communicates that to you uh, this morning. You need to hear it. But if you are on the other end of the spectrum and you feel maybe convicted or challenged or almost like you need to like confess something and own up to something, I hope that you embrace that as well. I hope that we would all be in that place, especially during Lent, where we're just bringing our lives before him and we're saying, please, like, like cleanse me. Continue to heal me. Like, like lead, lead me forward in this. I was reminded of Psalm 32, 5, where David says, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He's learned, like, as I begin to confess things, I begin to realize the forgiveness that Jesus provides. That Christ has died for these things. He's, he's already forgiven these sins, and he's wanting to lead us forward into this, like, beautiful new life. And so this, this applies to those things we have to figure out in the moment. It also applies to the decisions we're trying to make over time. There's so many ways to figure this out and how this works. But remember, Jesus, when we look at him, we, we see what it looks like to be healed. Like that, that new way to be human, is, it's, it's healing. It's restoration. It's like this, this is what the Garden of Eden was supposed to do for us. And sin messed all that up, and Jesus is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal that and bring it, bring it back and restore you to who you were meant to be. 
And so however you, this reaches into your life and you want to apply it, I hope that you will receive that with a grateful heart this morning. So let me pray for us and let's stand together as the band returns and we look to sing a little bit. I want you to take just a second and kind of maybe focus in your mind a little bit on, uh, on what you feel like God's been stirring through the songs, through the scriptures this morning, through just being with other believers today. Is he encouraging you? Is, is there a challenge? Is there conviction? Is there something to confess? Uh, Let's take a moment, just you and the Lord, before we begin to sing corporately and it becomes us and the Lord. Um, take a minute and just talk to him. Lord, it's always a humbling thing to be with your people and to um, just to sense and to see the way you move through your, the reading of your word and the, the teaching of the word and the singing of truth and the gathering of your people, all those things working together. I thank you, Jesus, for showing us what it looks like to be healed and to be whole. And for your patience as you lead us day by day, step by step, more and more deeply into, into that reality. I'm thankful for the contrast that you see between the default way to be human and this new option. Jesus, you not only show us, you, you provide the way to invite us into it that we too can participate in this. That it is through what you have done in laying your life down and the, the Father lifting you up again to rise and walk in new life. But that has made it possible for us to be able to sing these things and pray these things and be challenged by these things today. And so as we continue to pray and to sing and just respond together, I pray that your will would be carried out among us this morning, that we would be those new kinds of humans today with open hands, just ready to surrender to you whatever it is that you're asking of us, and lifting your name higher above all names.